Coming up on the podcast, I am live from San Francisco, California, where game two of the NBA Finals happened. Brian Marcel is going to join me. We're going to talk basketball. We're going to talk about NBA. That's all I got for you. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. Have you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car, or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it, I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up two new rewatchables last week. One was a category selection show. The other was Copland on Monday night. Another episode is coming. Did Knocked Up, 15-year anniversary of that. So check it out. It will be going up on Monday night. I know on the Prestige TV podcast, I might pop on there and talk about the staircase because I caught up. I binged. I'm ready to roll. But you should be checking out the Prestige TV podcast. Anyway, Sean Fennessy is on there breaking down every episode of Barry with Bill Hader. Yeah, that guy. So go check it out. Uh, coming up on this podcast, Ryan Russell and I are going to talk about Game 2 of the NBA Finals and a whole bunch of other basketball stuff. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, taping this, it is 8.15 Pacific time. Just went to game two of the 2022 finals, a game that was very enjoyable. And all of a sudden it wasn't if you're a Celtic fan and if you're a Warriors fan, it was great. Uh, the big takeaway for me, well, yeah, let's go, I want to go big picture themes first. Ryan Rosillo is here. This was a Draymond alpha male game. And I don't know if it translated on TV like it did in person. So I'm going to ask you like, could Draymond, Draymond put on cologne. He was, he was wearing like a sleeveless t-shirt and he was chopping wood in the front of, uh, front of his house before. And he just went, he went full alpha male. I've never seen anybody more charged up, more fired up and more of a maniac who didn't get kicked out, but it worked. It was great. It was just, it, he was all over the place. He was talking to everybody. He was talking shit. He was starting shit. I thought he was going to be kicked out by the second quarter, but he just changed their personality. Could you see that on the TV? Yeah, we saw all the interactions, but I don't know that it can be appreciated 
on TV the way you would appreciate it live. I just don't because there's other there's just other stuff that we're not seeing. And you know, the first tech I thought was deserved, and then the interaction and inevitable. With, yeah, right. And the interaction with Jalen Brown, you know, the broadcast was going, "Hey, every other version of this that's double tech, and you keep it moving." And then it became an argument about. Well, do you want some subjectivity in it? And then Javi came on and was like, "Look, if we know it's his first tech, and that's going to lead him to being tossed, uh, yeah, we're he not going to do gotten it. Tossed for that. No, he shouldn't. I mean, it, it is shocking to know that other players don't love when your legs are resting on him after the play. Uh, so I didn't. I wasn't surprised. Jalen's like, "Get the fuck off of me!" Um, as Draymond was trying to get his legs off of it. But no, but tell us, tell us actually what it's like because I it, we, obviously we know every play you're talking about, but there's going to be so much more that we don't see. It was nonstop. It was standing next to somebody on the free throw line. It was when there was dead ball stuff. It was walking by Ime Adoka talking shit to him. It was, first he started with Tatum, who, as you know, doesn't really talk any shit. And he tried to get in, you know, tried to get it going with him. He really got it going with Jalen. That was about as mad as, as I've seen Jalen in a basketball game. He that like, that guy doesn't get mad ever. Um, but he was just constant. Then Grant Williams came in and it was like a, a comic book movie where it was like, you've now met your match. You, <laughs> one of the most annoying players in the league, meet one of the other most annoying players in the league, and why don't you guys go at it? And they were talking the whole time, and Grant was super physical with them. The second half, Grant was trying to get him to get the second tech or get in the, you know, he was bodying him full court. They were talking. At one point, Draymond was just talking shit to him. He was like 10 feet away. and th A lot of the stuff is subtle, which is why it's so much fun to go in person. Because they do a lot of like under the breath stuff or a lot of like they just plant next and they just start muttering to each other. But he was just determined to put his stamp all over this game. He finished with nine, seven, and five. He took three shots. But uh, what one thing I heard from the Warriors side, they did the second spectrum thing for um, for game one. The hustle stuff, the energy stuff. And you know they can measure like how high is your energy compared to the average amount of energy on these plays. And they can really... They have some sort of barometer of like how hard were we trying for lack There's also of a like way to say it. Total distance travel too that can kind of tell you how hard people are working, which is a little easier to consume. Yeah. So they can look at it and they can say, Oh, the stats tell us we were possessed in that game, or the stats tell us we were dead, or the stats tell us we kind of mailed it in. And I think I think the stats told them they didn't play that hard in game one for for a finals game. And I think that message was delivered and you saw it today. They they were all over the place and, you know, the refs helped a little, which we could talk about later. But I, I think they wanted it to be like a Eastern Conference Finals Miami-Boston game. Way more physical, way more intense. And they tried to get in the Celtics' heads and it worked. That's what I saw. Yeah, we saw it from the jump. But then I'll tell you, this is the weird thing about this series now two games in is I feel like the first quarter has been the most misleading version of basketball that doesn't tell us the story of the rest of the game. So if you go back to game one, I'm thinking, all right, Boston is not ready to have to guard multiple guys. And even if you're thinking about Bam and the Jimmy Butler combination, you can always, you can always kind of see it coming, right? Yep. You know, like, hey, Jimmy's going to get to the middle and he's going to work. And he's going to hit some impossible shots. He's going to get free throws. Okay, Bam's going to get it at the elbow. Bam wasn't, I don't think, aggressive enough in the Eastern Conference Finals, but you still sort of knew what you were defending. And with yeah. Golden State, there's movement, there's cutting, um, which there actually seemed like there was less of in this game, which we'll get to. But Curry was uncontested on six of his first eight shots. There was kind of like not a full transition, a sort of, you know, off a of mist getting into the half court where Smart lost 
uh, Curry because he went to Looney, I think. And it was like, what, what's going on here? And that made me think after 12 minutes, like Boston has to realize this isn't Miami. Yeah. And then they did. And it was absurd. And then they make every single shot in the fourth quarter and you're left thinking for two days, like, okay, what did I learn from this? And so then the carryover into game two, that first quarter, I felt like Boston was getting their offense easier and Tatum's alive. So even if the, the message of the story is like, oh, Golden State took it right to him from the jump, I, they traded That's baskets. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Yeah. I, I, th- I actually liked Boston better after the first quarter in this game because I thought that Golden State was hanging. Like it was a weird shootout the last minute and a half. Everybody made every three. But I left 12 minutes of this one thinking the opposite of what I thought in the first game. Yeah, it was six. Boston was up 16 to nine. Jalen started out great. He had and, nine points, two and a half minutes in, and then, what, ate the rest of the game. Yeah, and they they just they had a nice flow to them, and they seemed confident. And then Draymond had a play that was right in front of me. I was sitting under the basket where he drove to the basket, and they called a Horford three-point play foul. And it was a terrible call. And all the Celtics, and it was Tony Brothers, who they have not had success against lately. And I'm sensing a tone, the, maybe, for later <laughs> on the pod. Well, it was just one of those, like, oh, okay. And the Celtics were pissed. And from that point on, it seemed like all of a sudden the game got super foul heavy um, and it, it just kind of lost the flow because we were sitting there the first five minutes like, man, this series is awesome. It's so much fun to watch the refs just go, just go back and forth, do your thing. We're going to try to stay out of way. And from the moment you go back and watch it, because I'm sure the, the whoever, like whoever's listening, go back and watch when it's 16 to nine, the Draymond play and how fucking discombobulated the game is from that moment on and the Warriors handled it better than the Celtics. You know, I I think that's great for the Warriors because if they're going to have a turnover contest with somebody, the Celtics are going to, are going to win it, right? The Warriors are sloppy with the ball. The Celtics are like, watch this. We'll be way sloppier. And they're, you know, the three point shooting, the Celtics were missing a lot of bunnies. At one point I looked up at the scoreboard because at the 3%, three point percentage, two point percentage, the Celtics were like 26% on two points. Two point shots. Do you know how hard that is to go twenty to miss three out of every four two point shots in a basketball game? All right, it's I'm like going to give you the stat. It, no, it's historic because at one oh, point they were. I don't. I haven't looked at right. Twitter at all. So at one point, it's maybe the only stat that I screen grabbed that I saw tonight. The Celtics were nine of thirty four on two point shots, twenty six point five percent. Now they finished Jesus. about thir- they finished about thirty five percent on twos. But at one point, they're 26.5, which would have been the worst two-point field goal percentage since the three-point line was invented in an NBA Finals game. That's how oh bad God. it was. But it I'm felt te- that bad. Okay, but am I crazy for thinking they? it didn't feel like they were just missing a million easy shots? Yeah, no, the defense... I thought the Warriors' defense was the yeah, story okay. of the game. It was Draymond... Because the Warriors but, had a stretch in the first half where they missed like six layups. And you were like, yeah. what, what's going on with you guys? It's well, still a close game, so go ahead. Clay, Clay was like 2003 Ramiro Mendoza looked like the mole, like he was going to take off his jersey and he's had a Celtics jersey. He was that bad. Do you remember how Clay, pumped we were when they got Mendoza? <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, I didn't realize he was working for the other team. The, uh, the, the two-point stuff, I thought some of it was a result of how hard the Warriors were playing on D. And then it's, basketball's so weird. A couple don't go in. And then you start rushing a tiny bit and it, and then it just like snowballs out of there and you could just kind of feel it unraveling. But the Warriors weren't doing great on offense either. Poole and Clay, I remember I looked up on my uh, box score one of the timeouts. They were like two for their first 13. Something like that. Poole looked terrible. 
I'll give Clay it to you. Worse. At the half, Clay was one of eight, zero four from three. Wiggins was four of eleven, and he had some moments in the first half where you're like, "All right, man." And yeah. then Pools one of five, and Kerr didn't bring him back until ten and a half minutes had gone by in the third quarter. And I tweeted out at the time, it's like I actually thought Gary Payton Jr. had done a better job when he was matched up with Jalen and Pool at this point had given you seven or excuse me six quarters of misses and and hunting Pool. Yeah, like they hunt him. He's a priority to hunt. It's it's pool season more than it is curry season. I was trying to get to the hunting analogy there. It took a little longer than I, I liked wanted it. to. We, yeah. we probably were about three minutes late on it. I'm glad yep. you brought up Peyton because I thought the fact that he played today was the biggest difference in the game from game one to game two. I mean, that the, it was called a little bit different, obviously. The words were way more kind of flying around. But Peyton, just having him instead of Iguodala and then pulling some of the clay minutes away and giving those to Peyton, they just seem the most comfortable when he's out there. And I think it makes sense why they reacted like they did after that Dylan Brooks play. It wasn't just that their guy got hurt. It was more like, we don't know if we can win four straight rounds if we don't have this guy. And he couldn't play three days ago, apparently. He couldn't, he couldn't like bend his elbow completely, but he was fine today. Well, he hit that and, three, which probably just gets you going. You know what I mean? Just a guy like that hit one three. But he's, you know, he's kind of, he's another one who's like not afraid, man. That guy's been through some shit. Like he really worked his ass off to get there. And he's out there, and when you have him and Draymond together, they're, they, to, the two of them feel like two and a half because they're flying around. And I thought, even though I don't know, I was surprised he was guarding Tatum, but I guess it worked. So it felt like Tatum could shoot over him, but Tatum finished, what, six for 19? So maybe it was the right move. Uh, he actually ate a 19. Yeah, ate so a 19. The, the final numbers are all right. But the pool thing, so a minute and a half left to go to the third quarter, he hits two threes immediately, the absurd one at the end of the and hits another one a minute yeah. into the third. So he's got nine points there in two and a half game minutes. And you know, each game has its own personality. We've been doing this long enough that we should never freak out, especially if we think both teams are good. Right? There's other series where you're like, all right, this, this is a wrap. And somebody will pick off one when the other team doesn't care. But you know, I just it's always surprising to me how after like one game, maybe because it's newer with this kind of matchup where it's like, oh, okay, here's all these things that are going to swing it this other way. And you're like, man, the games are just different this way. The personality is yeah. different. And here's Poole, who'd been awful for for six quarters. He had, I think, the worst plus minus in the first half, which again is a little misleading. Tatum had a career worst minus 36, which I don't think is a great reflection. Nah, that, I, that's, yeah. I don't like plus minus. Well, sometimes it you- works. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. For Tatum here, I don't think, I think that's misleading. Poole's confidence was way down at the end of that first half because the Warriors, his teammates were trying to pick him up. And that's when you know it's not going well. It's not just like you're in a slump. Like they were like trying to, you know, move in. I I was walking in after halftime with with uh, a friend of mine who's a Warriors fan. And I was like, you guys are going to win this. Peter Gruber? <laughs> no, Peter Gruber. It was not Peter Gruber. Um I, it just felt like the Celtics had missed their shot, even though it was a two-point game heading into the second half. You could kind of see where it was heading. By the end of that second quarter, the Celtics were working so hard to get anything, and the Warriors, it just felt like there was going to be this moment when the shots started going in. Uh, we got to talk about the Steph thing. It fucking sucks to root against him. I know I've said this now three straight podcasts, but God damn, the, the two threes he hit near the end of the third quarter, it's a 20, say, it's, we're up, or we're down, it is 73-62, three minutes left. So very similar to game one, right? They're up double digits. He missed that three with three minutes left the third quarter. Would have put him up 18, missed it. Celtics make a little run, get it to 12, and they're able to flip it in the fourth quarter. This time, 73-62, hits a 27-footer contested. 
Celtics miss. He comes back down. He hits another one. What was that, like 31 feet? Is that like six feet past the three-point line? It almost seemed like he was next to Steve Kerr. And I'll tell you this, man. When he makes those, when the when he has the right crowd. That was the 79-62-3 to the right side. Yeah. yeah, right. When he makes those, it is like electroshocking the crowd. The crowd goes fucking bananas. There's no, I don't think there's a player that is as beloved by the home crowd. It's not even close for the connection that he has with this. I know there's other popular players. I know everyone in Milwaukee loves Giannis. Like we go out on the line. I know everyone in Philly loves Embiid. The Curry thing's different. There's history. It's been on that team 13 years. They know when he's starting to feel it. They have a real ESP for like, uh oh, here we go. And when he hits those two in a row, they fucking lose their minds. And it feels I honestly like a meaningful home crowd. That was my takeaway. The Steph conversation is always still strange for me because I, I think because going back to like when we first started real, like it was so absurd when he first got started. I had moments where I was worried it was fake. Right. I was like, is this really going to happen? Is this, is this who this guy's going to be? Is he really going to do this? And yes, you know, to start your career 44, 44, 46, 45, 42, 44, 45% from three. You're just like, this is ridiculous. But now I feel like because that's what it, what it's supposed to be, anytime he misses, they'll be like, oh, you know, Steph's, Steph's fucking up. And you're like, yeah. all right. Like, everybody has some bad getting games. getting older. But we hold him to this standard that I don't even, I think it makes us not appreciate what he does. Like, everybody has bad games. Everybody has bad games. You know, for LeBron, it's a little more rare. Like, I think he had, like, one single-digit point output and, like, the last hundred playoff games or something absurd. So I'd say LeBron is in his own category. He's always going to be able to get to the line, LeBron. If he's, right. Even if he's not hitting, he'll still be able to get 12 free throws. So Steph can still have like a worse game in his worst game in a big playoff moment than I think even LeBron would have. All right. Having said that, like I just was having a conversation with somebody the other day and they were like, nah, he misses everything and it's, it's not the same. And I'm just like, he's 42% from three against Dallas. He's 46% in the final so far. Um, you know, against Memphis, he was only 33%. Before that, he was 41%. So for the postseason, he's just under 40% again. And it's kind of like, you know, he's he's 2 of 8 tonight before he gets it going again. And then he's 5 of 11. So it's like at the 2 of 8, you're going, oh, man, is Steph having a bad Steph game? <laughs> and then even some of his bad Steph games end up with 26 points, 8 assists, 7 boards. And by the way, him being out there changes everything because when Golden State when they didn't have him out there, there was a stretch in the first half where it was like, oh, cool, a post for Andrew Wiggins. Oh, yeah. Draymond Green wide open again at the top of the key. At least Iguodala's not out there, even though he had made some shots for him. So, yeah, those Steph moments, they feel like they're worth more because in the moment, it just is demoralizing. Well, and on top of what you just said about the oh, Steph's having a bad game, whatever, I was on multiple Celtic fan text threads where everyone was just so excited about how well White was guarding Curry, which he was. And it was like, wow, they've really found something here with this White-Curry matchup. He's really making it hard for him. And then the third quarter ends and Steph has 29 points. <laughs> and it's like, I guess it wasn't that hard. He's, you know, he's on pace for 40. I thought White, that was about as well as I've seen somebody deal with Curry on a 94-foot court in person. He was, he was with him. He was around him. He was fighting through picks. He was in his stuff. He was guessing his moves, and Curry still got his points. And he's, to, to see all the shit that he does to get open, and it's like, it's, a, it's like watching one of those, like when 
when like the Boston Marathon happens and there's that first wave of guys and they're just different than everybody else. Like they're moving faster. It doesn't even seem like they're exerting any effort. But Murph's out there going, I'm catching him. (laughs) Curry's like, he's just endlessly moving around and it's just fucking crazy to watch. It's like, how do you not, how are you the only one not getting tired? You know, and then when, when Poole tries to do it, it's like watching a Steph impersonation. Uh, Can I say one thing about Poole? I have one bitter Poole comment. Oh, yeah, of course. I want to see him make some of these when it's like they're not up 15. I think he's had those moments, though, in the postseason. I know he has. This is unfair. I know he has. Right. It was a little little like front-runnery today with him. So I think I'm sure one of the narratives coming out of this is, well, they got Jordan Poole going. And my question is, did he? Did he get going or was the game over and he started making some shots because the Celtics weren't playing good defense? I still think they like the matchup against him. And he's, if you're talking about key random guys in the series, he's way up there because they have to buy the 10 to 12 minutes when Steph's not out there. And he's really the only other creator they have. Uh, Yeah, he he came in, it was 81-64. Yeah, and and that was when he started lighting it up. And then Boston had its 16th turnover. I think the other thing we probably could have led the podcast with uh, this this was a little reminiscent of Game Three, Boston Miami, with the turnovers, where they're live ball turnovers, and, and I just think you, when you watch games, turnovers are different, and there's so many bad ones in this one. So if Boston's going to do that, and what about the market? The Marcus just throwing it to the cameraman on the bounce, the bounce pass to no one that hits the basket sport. And the other thing that we learned from Game One. You know, 47 points from Al Horford and Derek White's probably not happening again. Al Horford's first shot attempt was a minute and a half into the second half. So if you look at the combined of the others in this one, and by the way, Horford's, there's another little adjustment. He was 9-12 of a game one, the contest uncontested tracking, which, you know, was usually pretty good. Yeah. All 12 of his shots apparently fell into the uncontested part of it. And you could tell Horford was ready on the scouting report because he was shot ready. You know, and then you're thinking, oh, well, if this guy's going to shoot it all the time instead of maybe try to, you know, because Al can at times have a tendency to like let the play develop a little bit more. You don't feel like he's a drive and kick out spot up guy all the time. And that's who he was in game one. And I think Golden State goes, okay, let's pay attention to that. Okay. You know, there were times I think they set three screens for Steph on that one that was right at the top of the key where he hit a three and it was very little distance that he had to cover, but they rescreened and rescreened. And Boston, I think, did a bad job of what was usually a pretty standard rule of no matter what, sell out and keep two with Steph and make somebody else beat you, which wasn't really happening in the first half. But when you look at the others for the Celtics on top of the turnovers. Wait, can we stay in Horford for one second? Yeah. I thought they changed their game plan against him. They were swarming him at the top of the key. I think they were on immediately. Too, yeah. He had too much room in game one. And and I think there was a little Draymond stuff because I think Draymond sees and hears everything. And there was some stuff out there about Al Horford's better than Draymond for the series. Al Horford's a better player at this stage of their careers. And Draymond seemed like he wanted to come out and be like, oh, really? Al Horford's better than me? I did feel like that was a smidge of what they had. But more importantly, they were swarming him and they weren't allowing him space and time. So that was the, that and Peyton, I thought were the two biggest ways they changed other than how physical it was. So if you go Al, Rob Williams, Marcus Smart, the other starters, they made three shots total. It's bad. I want to talk about that starting lineup. We got to take a quick break. 
The NBA Finals are here. So is your chance to score big on FanDuel Sportsbook throughout the NBA Finals. FanDuel, giving new customers $200 in free bets guaranteed. When you place your first $5 bet, bet the money line, point spreads, player props, so much more. Plus, you can combine your bets for an even bigger payday with the same game parlay for the Celtics. I mean, just look at how the first two games went. What would have to go well if you think they're going to win game three? which they're going to be home. Seems like they would have a decent chance, even if the extender is going to be there. But could this be could this be the game that uh, Marcus Smart finally puts together some assists and some rebounds, like the Celtics money line? Just think about what you think might happen and then bet it with the same game parlay. Combine all the bets. You can get 4-1, to 5-1, to 6-1, to one, whatever. Sign up with the promo code BS. And if you haven't tried FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot. The only thing sweeter than watching the finals is cashing in on all the action. Join today. Promo code BS. Turn a $5 bet into $200 in free bets, win or lose. Make every game feel like Game 7 with FanDuel Sportsbook. And watch out. I might do a same-game parlay on my Twitter feed on Wednesday. For FanDuel, FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA, must be 21-plus in select states. First online real money wager of at least $5. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Connecticut, 888-789-777. In Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER. In Michigan, 800-270-7117. 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Tennessee red line is 800-889-9789. And in West Virginia, 1800gambler.net. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, so if you're the Celtics, you got the game you want. The Warriors are supposed to win game two, especially with, uh, <laughs> with the way some of the ref stuff was going in the first half. Do you, you want to just kinda... do the ref thing, get it out of the way? Now nah, let's, let's hold it for a second. I, I, the one thing I think the Celtics are going to have to deal with is that the, the Horford-Rob together might not work in the series. That, and Ime switched this a couple times during the playoffs where he would... You know, there was that that one Miami game when he started Grant in the second half with Horford so he could bring Williams off the bench against P.J. Tucker late. They'll mess with the starting lineups. I just don't know if this is the series for the Horford-Rob combo. Uh, I maybe it It's will funny, though, when it works. It's funny when it works, though. It's like, look at all this size against this small Warriors team. Rob's you not know? 100. I would say... Oh, oh, he's definitely not. And he got hurt again when Smart on the layup where Mooney blocked him from behind. He landed. I don't know if you saw the replay. It was bad. It, it happened right in front of me. I, oh, that's right. I'm going to give you the my. You could see that from Loge? No, I was like, right, I was right there. <laughs> I was right there. And Rob got hurt. Uh, 
I'm going to, my favorite thing, percentage. I'm going to give you my percentage healthy for Rob Williams. I calculated it during the game for you. Yeah, write this let down. A, let me get You a don't get this page. in second spectrum. We don't give out subscriptions for this. Do you have a login gonna, for Bill's percentage? Bill, Bill, Bill talking out of his ass percentage.com. Uh, I'm going to say like 67%. I thought you were going to say lower, but yeah, all right. I'll go with it. Who am I? Who am I to dispute that? He still has, he still jumps, but he's just, it's in his head. And I think Ime is really pushing him. There was a moment when he went down and he got up and I thought they were going to have to talk timeout to take him down, but you can see like, those I don't think he wanted like, to call a timeout there. Yeah. He didn't. Yeah. And I think all season they've been pushing Rob to play through pain, play through adversity, play through whatever. And Ime is just pushing him. But I, to, to, he's not even close to the guy. We were watching that game because we had a podcast, that Minnesota-Boston game when Rob first got hurt. That guy, we haven't really seen that guy in a playoff game, I don't think, in 2022. The guy who was completely demolishing Minnesota. You know, he's you see it in pieces and flashes. I think he's been useful. The Warriors have done a good job of taking away the alley-oops and stuff like that. They're ready for him. They're really well-coached. And Kerr, I gotta say, Kerr was like right at half court the whole game, like just locked in like a maniac trying to keep the intensity up. But anyway, uh, I am not, uh, I'm not bullish on that Horford Williams thing. From the Warriors side, this is almost a borderline Kyle turned the camera on. The clay thing is, is a thing. That is going to be a big decision for Kerr in one of these games where I don't think he's one of their best five players in the series. I think he's, in a lot of ways, helps the Celtics more than the Warriors if he still feels like he's 2016 Clay when he's not. And I say, I say this in the least inflammatory, most respectful way possible. They're going to have a, a situation where he there's going to be a game in Boston when it might not make sense to have him out there. And my question is, with all the equity that he's built in this Warriors relationship, how much his teammates value him, the coach values him, all the shit that he went through. Is Kurt going to have to have that moment where he's just like, I, I, I need to win this game. You can't, I'm going to have to take you out. You're going to be sitting on the bench for this one. It's tough, man. We've seen it in basketball how many times over the years? It's going to happen in this series, I'm telling you. I disagree. You disagree? You think they keep him out? Yeah, this is a guy 10 days ago had 32 points in the closeout game against Dallas. The closeout game against Memphis, he was 8 of 14 from 3 for 30 points. Those are the elimination games. Yeah, uh, We also know what coaches do. It's why Iguodala got a chance to run around in game one. Even though Iggy hit some shots over the course of how a, def uh, a defense is set up against you, like there were just some possessions where you had Draymond and Iguodala out there at the same time, and it was like five Celtics with a foot in the paint. It felt like, except for mm -hmm. maybe Clay on the other side in some of the non-step minutes. Um, so, coaches trust people; they trust these guys. They never want to give up on them. I understand your. I point, don't think it's a I, give up. I think it's right. a one night thing. They're going to okay. have a decision where it's like, eh, this, but I, I got to play these five guys, and you're not one of them. All right. I think I think there were some weird, you know, some of the Memphis games. You know, he had the six twenty game in there. Um. You know, he, well, he was 6 of 19, 5 of 19, and 6 of 20 in three of those six games. Today, he and was four, 4 for 19. Yeah, he was he terrible. Was, what was his plus minus? Not that it matters, but what was his plus? Oh, he was 
He was a zero plus minus in a game they won by 19. But I, I, I would say, I would bet you that the the odds of him getting subbed out in a tight one where they feel like they don't, he's not giving them enough. Because at no point will the Celtics stop guarding Clay Thompson. He could he could go over twenty, that's and fair. they have to guard him. He's somebody like that's what we're looking for in playoff games. How many people do you have to respect defensively? And Clay can miss every shot, and they still have to close out. They still have to guard him. I thought Clay actually did a good job on the closeouts, kind of driving a little bit more. I would bet you. We're going to get a real vintage clay game that's far more likely than him being taken out of a closing rotation. So, yes, this sounds like a bet for us. Um, I'll tell you this like, by like the eighth miss with him today or ninth miss, it was that awkward silence sound when the the super electric home crowd and the miss followed by the, uh, you know, it's like one of those sounds. It's, I watch out for it. I think. I think the Celtics were pretty comfortable when he was out there. But you're right. He's such a threat at all times. I just feel like Porter and Wiggins, when they're out there together, I don't even know how many minutes they play together. Porter's on a minutes restriction, apparently. But when it was like those two together with Curry and with some size, that seemed like the toughest lineup for the Celtics. I saw that Bielitsa played well in the limited minutes. He, he holds today. up, man. Yeah, he I don't know why up. he didn't. Also, always kills the Celtics. So I don't, I don't understand the Iguodala thing, but to your point about why you think they wouldn't do that to Clay? That was why Iguodala played game one. And by the way, his knee's like all sore now and he we probably won't see him again in the series. But Kerr felt like he owed it to him to give him a chance, I think. Yeah, I mean, of, of all the years we've been watching this game, <laughs> the number of times where you're like, why is this guy playing? And I mean, hell, even Ime at the beginning of this year, you'd be like, why are you trusting Josh Richardson and Schroeder in these spots? It's like, well, because they have the resumes. Right. Like they're the guys, like, remember the beginning of the year? Like, Pritchard looked like he was buried. You know, Neesmith was was behind Langford. And you're going, all right, you know, the coach, the coach, tr- you know, is always going to trust somebody a little bit more that's done it before. And even though Iguodala hadn't played since the opening series, I was not surprised if he was cleared that he was going to give him some minutes. The problem was, even though he made shots in game one, it didn't feel like it was real sustainable to set your offense up with two people that the Celtics felt like they could ignore. And there was even it's, a couple times it's tough tonight. to hop into a finals game and just be like, okay, guys, let me try to feel this out. Yeah, <laughs> and by just, the way, you're initiating a lot of stuff too. It's yeah. not like you're some spot-up shooter. Clay by the round, three-point percentage. He's, he's uh, four for 15 in this series. Last series, it was 32.7. The Memphis series, it was 36.8. Denver series 42.8, but I'm throwing that one out. That was fucking, you think about like the guys on Denver versus who the Celtics have. I don't know. I think, I, I can't remember a finals like this where I'm not sure as it evolves who are the crunch time guys will be when we finally have like a game and it might be game three, you know? You know, by the way, you know, Scott Foster will be there for game three. I'm, I'm already, the extender will be in the house, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'd heard, what is it, it's 12 refs that are rotated into an NBA Finals. Yeah, so we'll see Scott Foster, so that'll be good for the Warriors. I could be wrong about that. I thought this is what I heard. But yeah, from a matchup standpoint, like who do you think the Warriors' best five is in this series? Let's say it's it's 98-98 with five minutes left in game three. Who do you think's out there for each team? Because I think for the Celtics, I think they have to play white and smart together. That's when they've had white, smart, brown, Al Tatum. Tatum and Horford. I think that's the five. I think White's 
with his defense and the way his ability to kind of slash and kick and all that. I think he's one of their five best guys in this series. You would have said Grant Williams two series ago, but no more. I think it's white for this one. So who do you have for the Warriors? Maybe, but that could change too. Like Grant could have a really good offensive name. He didn't do anything tonight in 21 minutes. I actually think he was a little, he had, he had six points and one rebound tonight. I thought he got way too caught up in all the, uh, the Draymond thing. And I, I think that, I'd love to know what his total minutes were in the fourth quarter because it looked like he was he was a little bit more limited in how often they were going to him there. Um, it's Draymond, it's Wiggins, it's obviously Steph. I'm not knocking Clay out of the top five. So I think what we looked at was a version so of Looney. Golden... You go Looney or Bielitsa? No, no. Here's here's what I think is still in play here because I again every game has a different personality. With Pool, you want to call it front running, fine. But that's why they left Clay out there to get him some more looks late to try to get some sort of carryover confidence stuff, which you know I think is a real thing. Um, some people would argue against it, but now there can be some version of of this where it's a closing group with Pool or Looney, which is something we were talking about before. It's you like, forgot hey, one guy, Peyton. Com- well, no, I, I'm not forgetting him. I'm just I'm just thinking. No, but I think Peyton is. I think it's Peyton and Curry definitely. I think it's Draymond definitely, and I think it's Wiggins definitely. So that fifth spot is between Clay and Poole and Looney and maybe Porter. That's what's that's why this is such a great series. I don't, I don't, it might, and it might be game to game. It might just be how's it maybe Poole doesn't have it this game, but I don't see them playing Clay, Curry, and and Poole at the same time in a close game against the Celtics. Hey, can I ask you about Smart? Yeah, he what is, are you what are you seeing? Because this is remember, like Eme didn't bring him back until that game was basically over in game one. Like I didn't he, love how he played in game one. Um, I just don't think, I think he has a badly sprained ankle and I think he has a couple other injuries and I don't, I think he's, they'll never admit it, they'll never say it, but I think he's banged up. Right. And uh, where where you're really seeing it is the stuff to the basket and some of the decision making with that. Because that was something, he used to be pretty good and they, he'd have the no do yes drives, but um, I I just don't think he's 100%. I think he's fine, but he's not 100 And this is the point in the season when a lot of people are hurt. But White has looked better than Smart, which I was not... Ex- if you told me that three weeks ago, I would not have uh, believed you. I need like, to correct something. Smart came into 347. The game wasn't over. It was a six-point game. Um, which And game? honestly, game one. Game one. Um, no, no, you're right. But, no, no. But, that, game, that game was... It was only a six-point game. And honestly, know, the guy that put but, it out of reach was Smart. So but he smart stayed... I know, but he stayed out of the game way longer than usual. No, no, we're on the same page. I'm yeah. saying he came back in at 3:47 because I remember yeah. seeing that clip of him around six minutes when the draw when they're starting to like, holy shit, it's like Golden State can't do anything. Um, but Smart actually is a big reason why they even put that thing away. But I would say the two games worth of Smart now is not, you know, not the the good version that we've seen in this team's turnaround. In game Although, one, he was out for almost a quarter. And it, out to the point where it was like six minute mark, thought he was going back in, and Emmy's like, "I'm riding with these guys." Um, I think the white smart combo will be important for them. But yeah, um, I'm trying to think other lessons going forward for Game Three. Like it's same thing. Like we need more energy. That's like whoever loses, that's one of the narratives that comes out, right? Ah, we need more energy. Got to really want this. The Horford thing. I do wonder if they unlock something with him a little bit about just like being way more aggressive with him. His life was pretty easy in game one, man. Like it really I went was. back, I went back on synergy and, and watched, um, I watched the whole game again. And then I, you know, 
you just find out so many other things, especially when you're looking. Like once you know the result, so then you're trying yeah. to look for stuff that happens that leads to the result. It was just a funny game in that it felt like Boston was giving up these uncontested shots. And then by the end of it, the contest rate was absurd in Boston's favor, how much they contested shots and how bad. Like I I have the number here, not that I, I know you're dying for this, but it was like a really significant number where Golden State had only contested um, you know, like 20-something percent. Yeah, yeah, the contest rate, 42% of contested shots uh, against Golden State for Boston. Golden State only contested 25% of Boston's field goal attempts. That's, that number is way up today. Right. So, you know, once they sort through all this stuff and we can watch it again in the morning, um, we'll know that number. But uh, I don't, it's funny. Both teams aren't that hard to figure out. Like, when the, if the Celtics are going to turn the ball over 18 to 20 times in a game, they're probably going to lose. Yeah. When no you know? one else makes shots and you turn it over that much, it's probably not going to work out. You're probably going to lose. <laughs> to Golden And the State. Warriors, like, yeah, if the Warriors are going to miss a bunch of threes and not play that hard defensively, it's probably not going to work out for them. So the turnovers thing, this Celtics team, this is now, what are they? They played four, seven, seven. So this is, they've got now 20 playoff games for them. And it's just, I, I was sitting there today going, I can't believe this team might win the title with how careless, <laughs> how careless they are in so many different ways. Like just passes, trying to thread the needle through six guys on a bounce pass, screwing up four on twos, swinging the ball around when somebody's just like, you're basically hitting the defender in the head with the pass. They're so ready to steal it. Um, just over and over again, such sloppiness. And yet they're still three games away from the title. And then I guess the Warriors fans would probably say the same thing, right? That was their big rep, like protect the ball. Well, the Warriors throughout this entire finals, you know, versions of these teams, they're always a bad turnover team. They're like bottom five, like awful. Yeah. So, you know, there's usually even, um, I remember back in 2008, I think the Celtics were a high turnover team, but I think it, always there was a handful of illegal screens from Perk. Well, that was another thing Draymond took full advantage of today was he was, I, I mean, that who is our starting five of guys who are who are like, oh, this is how you're calling it today. I'm going to take full advantage, guys. Like Lowry's got to be the starting point guard, right? PJ yeah. Tucker, Lowry, Drew, I would Lowry's put Drew Holiday on there. Yeah, yeah, he's player coach. It's like Bill Russell in 1969. Draymond. By the way, I didn't realize that Kuzi came back and played for the Cincinnati for Royals, the Royals as yeah. a player coach. He'd been retired for like four years. Yeah. I was looking at Kuzi's numbers the other day because he just, you know, I feel like everybody was taking swipes at him for a while. So Lowry, Tucker, maybe Marcus. Marcus probably has to be on this team somewhere. Oh, you're calling it this way? Great. Who else? Who are who are like the I will bend the rules if you allow me, guys? Because well, Draymond I'd say, was I'd say Chris Paul, but game. he he wouldn't be around this late. Oh, oh don't be don't do that. No. Don't do it's that. Don't, people, don't let the internet wear you down. Come on. Chris Paul wore me down. Chris Paul, where he are was in you? the finals a year ago, so I can't say that. Third quarters, Golden State seventy-three to thirty-eight. That's the, that's our score in the third quarters of this series so far. That seems excessive. Say that again. The Warriors are up seventy-three to thirty-eight in the third quarter of the series. Yeah, the Celtics had thirty in the first quarter. They had thirty-four in quarters two and three tonight, and it it was the opposite. I really like what Boston was doing offensively the first quarter. I was like, you know what? This feels like it's harder. Like the score can be whatever the score is, 
but you could just watch a game and go, you know, I'll just sit at home and go, okay, who was that harder for? Who did you feel better about the stuff they were doing, getting in? Who did you feel better about their looks? You know what I'm over though is, is fucking post-ups. Nobody can do it. And just because the other guy's shorter, the clay, you, know, you don't like the clay post-ups or Al out of the time out clay Thompson. Yeah. Or like a guy gets Pritchard in a switch and it's like, all right, post, but like, do you have any post moves or do you just dribble? Don't get any advantage on ground and then take a turnaround fade away. That's Everyone like the has hardest the same shot. two moves. It's either it's, the jump hook or the one step fall away. Like I, it's just, it's just so funny to see guys, the big wings will get the, they're like, oh, mouse in the house. It doesn't mean anything anymore because nobody knows how to play in the post. Sunday, that game seven, which I went back and finally watched during the week. And everyone's blaming Marcus after the game, right? He's all the Marcus smart shots. Meanwhile, Brown's charge and Grant Williams' two-on-one were the two worst plays of that unraveling during that Miami game. Grant Williams, Tatum found Grant Williams on the baseline. And he had Kyle Lowry under the basket and I think Jalen behind him. And all he had to do, I if I told this story in the podcast, right. I apologize. But all he had to do was either shoot a jump hook over Kyle Lowry or throw an alley up to Jalen Brown. Instead, he saw Lowry. Lowry had them so psyched out at that point. He was so Everyone's so afraid of a Lowry charge that he just kind of gave, he just got stripped. And if you watch it, you're like, I, this is in high school, Grant Williams would have known what to do. So I don't, I, I'm with you on the low post moves. Like people, I'm just constantly stunned by how, like Mikhail, Mikhail back in the day, Stick out, take out. He would have, he had 13 different moves just to get a five foot jump hook. That's why I just, this is old Rosillo material here, but the Hakeem camp bullshit that went on for years, <laughs> right. right? It was Dwight like, Howard. It would be, it would be some big and he didn't have any post moves that he never yeah. learned in grade school, high school, AAU or college or went right to the NBA. He's four years into the NBA. I'm not even talking specifically about Dwight. And he'd be like, oh, send him to Hakeem's camp. That's like buying your kid a guitar and saying, spend a long weekend with Jeff Beck. <laughs> You know, and like, let's see, we'll see on Tuesday. It was just yeah. like, no, there's. What'd you learn? Did is, you learn stairway to heaven? <laughs> this is this is like a lifetime of work in in footwork and hand yeah. like that's different. And nobody like Sengun right now is I'm, one of the I've, five best post players in the NBA. Okay, Sengun has better post pl- <laughs> than than almost anyone in the fucking league. When before you when you were done talking, I was gonna be like, I was gonna bring up Sengun because it was like. He's like an alien has landed with this totally different way to play basketball that just doesn't exist anymore. He's got drop steps. He's got up and unders. He's got like Timmy. Timmy is better than 99% of post players in the NBA and he's going to stay in school. But this is where you get in trouble is like the Omar Samhan. Remember, remember that guy who was lighting up that one March Madness? It's drop steps. (laughs) The, uh, the Giannis, this is one thing that I, I really appreciate about him and, you know, I, I think he probably works on his game as much as any superstar we've had last 15 years. But he actually had footwork moves that he, even three years ago, I don't feel like he had, right? Like, he, he was doing some drop step stuff in that Boston series. That I was like, whoa, that was like a real thing. Embiid has it. Jokic, obviously, is uh, Embiid ha- Embiid has a, a pretty full toolbox. He's got a menu. Stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but... You know, nobody has the Mikhail stuff. Nobody oh, has man. the Akeem stuff. And, you know, you have to figure out the angles. You have to figure out all this different stuff. And then there's times you set somebody up, like you show them the first thing yeah. that then sets up all the other stuff. So, like, you bring it across and it's just simple into a jump hook off of, like, 
give him a little shake and then you finish left out, left shoulder turn, right hook. And then it's like, okay, so that sets up the next one. And I don't think anybody, and here's the thing is if I were a post player, I don't know that I put the time in because somebody's just going to take a three anyway. I know. I was talking, <laughs> this is not a name drop. I was talking to Sharif Abdurrahim for a while before the game. KFC and Logan Burdock were there at one point, but we were just talking about if you played now, you're just, because Sharif was like 18 to 20 feet was his spot, right? He had that old school, just a two-point jumper game where, it's, you know, he could post up, but he could also, he just like, that was where he was comfortable. And we were saying now, if you're 10 years old, you're just shooting threes. Do you even have that stuff? He's like, yeah, I would just, I would just would have shot threes. But that Sharif scored, I think like, he was like 22 and eight for like six straight years. Just on like 18 footers and no, I thought he did more work. I, I mean, I don't want to start going up to basketball reference shot chart here. I think he did his work close to though. He did the both. He was talking about it. He, you could post him up or he had that face up little 18 footer. And that was, that was where that was his kitchen. But now he'd be in the corner or he, you know, or, it's, or pick and roll, step back, waiting for a three. And like, would he even have that stuff? I don't know. That's why no, Jimmy Butler I, no, he is wouldn't. so fascinating. He wouldn't because Abdul Rahim was actually somebody you were like, you know what? He's got some perimeter skills for this big guy, uh, which, you know, if you came up now, a lot of it's how tall were you early. But yeah. even then, you know, it's just it's just different. I just miss. I wish there were post play only so I could have somebody suggest that a guy who has no post skills whatsoever would go hang go out with Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah, just be like, why don't you just spend the week with Akeem Olajuwon? And be like, okay, so just match perhaps one of the best the the quickest, most coordinated centers we've ever seen in the history a game. Soccer player, just, just a couple sleepovers with that guy. Right, well, Dwight Howard should have a post up camp. He just teach people the jump hook over and over again. We're uh, we'll take another break. I want to talk about refs. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game, and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simply safe with two eyes, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like simply safe. All right. I really held that. This is like 44 minutes of runtime for the actual pod, not counting uh, all the stuff we put into it after. But 
Did you see Bill Burr's thing on Jimmy Kimmel's show last week? Last week, no. He went on and did this thing, but Kimmel, it was great. Kimmel asked him, you know, do you watch Celtics? You're a big fan. Do you watch these playoff games? And, and Bill Burr did this whole routine about, you don't need to because, you know, like if somebody's up 15 in the first half or they're, you know, the refs are going to pull it back. They just want to get it to within five at halftime. And then in the second half, oh, who's behind and get it so that it's a close game at the end. And the refs control that he did this whole rant and it's great. And I was thinking today that uh, as we're even walking in the arena, it was like, this feels like a Bill Burr game. Like they, and, and it's just, you shouldn't feel that way, but it's hard not to. That rant, go watch it on YouTube. It is so fucking funny. Don't watch it now. Um, but <laughs> it just made me think like. Just time out. I, yeah, well, I would have stopped the podcast. But it was like, all right, the Warriors see Tony brothers. They know that it's going to be like a, a more physical game and it's going to be all over the map. So let's, let's try to get away with what we can go away with. But I just thought, do you think the refs have too much control in these games? I know we've danced around this. We've talked about it, but can you think of another sport? Cause like this is a point Bill Burr made on Kimmel show. Like football doesn't work like this where depending on the game, Tom Brady's going to get, uh, he'll get called for weird stuff in the pocket or he won't, you know, does it, do we obsess over this too much or do we actually not obsess over it enough? I know I'm in the minority, but I think we obsess about it way too much. I, I okay. Look, the, the Jalen Brown foul on the layup was that on pool. That was a terrible call. Um, the Grant Williams Draymond dust up, I thought was the wrong call. Uh, I did think Derek White blocked the other layup clean. I think he, th I thought he timed it perfect on the backboard, which is one of the other debatable ones. Uh, I, I got to tell you, man, um, there was even a Tatum drive where I think he got hit and it led to a turnover his points the other way. I just think like one team's going to end up with more bad calls than the other one, and that's just the way it works. So I don't usually ever make it a focal point of how I how I saw a game, but I could be wrong. This is why I bring it up. It seemed like the Celtics, just watching their body language, how they were talking to the refs during timeouts, during breaks, it seemed like they knew the game was going to go this way that they probably weren't going to get a lot of calls. And they were getting, after, you know, there'd be a timeout, and Ime was going out and just talk, talking to the refs, or Smart was going out, and they were really lobbying. And Ime was getting so mad, he finally got a technical. And I haven't looked this up, but I don't, that couldn't have been more than, like, his third technical of the season. He's not, like, a get-a-technical guy, but he was so mad by the third quarter. There was this play when they called Marcus. Marcus had two fouls in a row really quick in the third quarter. And one of them was because he was defending Draymond really close and Draymond dipped into them. They called Marcus foul and the whole Boston bench went nuts. Then it came down to the other end and Draymond was like mugging Marcus and the ball went out of bounds and they just said Boston ball. They didn't call him the fall. And Marcus was just screaming at brothers. He's like, that's the same fucking call from the other side. And the whole bench is, and that was right around the time he got it. And it was just, it was, it was weird that the Celtics kind of knew it's going to be hard for us tonight. Like they do that going into the game, but the Warriors still kick their ass. I just, I, I just wish it was consistent every game. I love the way game one was called because it had a real flow to it. It was really fun to watch. Now maybe it had a flow because neither team was playing defense that hard, but anyway, that's my referent. The watch the Bill Burr thing. And if it, it, I know he's doing a comedy routine, but it also rings a little close to true in a way that I was like a little alarmed by as I was watching it. Right, but this is probably the point where I bring up that the Celtics actually took 
only three less free throws and were called for only one more personal foul, which maybe gets lost in the fourth quarter that wasn't yeah, really the a fourth, game. Yeah, so there was okay. a couple. At one point, it was 16 to 10 fouls, Celtics, because I was looking at my phone. Celtics had 16, the Warriors have 10. And then it kind of went. But anyway, whatever. Listen, 1-1 is the right score for the series because the Warriors kind of, you know, fell asleep at the switch in game one. And I would say this is the right score, right? Right. But I, I do think to stay on the free throw attempt thing real quick, it's just that that's that that is go, that well is just people go to it way too often. Like you get a result you don't like, you look at the free throw attempts, and then you're like, oh, they have 12 more free throw attempts. We're getting screwed. And you're like, okay, but did you watch? Did right. one team drive perhaps more? Was one team more aggressive? Was another team late on rotations? You know, like I just don't feel like free throw disparity and that stuff, I feel like too often – People think it's the result of poor officiating, especially when they're emotionally attached to the outcome, as opposed to, I think, free throw dis- d- disparity is far more related to how the teams play. Well, so. and also, I think some guys just don't get the benefit of the call and other, like Wiggins. Absolutely. You're Wiggins right doesn't that. get yeah. calls, like just period. <laughs> Wiggins was going to the basket hard the whole game and wasn't getting anything. I think uh, Jalen's like this too. Jalen goes to the basket. They don't call Tice. We've joked about before. Well, the Tice thing is Tice one just of the, doesn't get calls ever. No, I, I mean, the war on Tice thing is funny because it's so true. Did you see today, Looney elbowed him in the head. They didn't call it on the fast I don't know sprint. that I've, I've ever seen a rotation <laughs> player. When, granted, because I watch more Celtics games than, than I'd say the Warriors yeah. probably the other team I watch as much as Boston, but I don't know that I've seen a rotation player, and it's probably more to when he was playing more often the first time when he was with Boston as opposed to coming yeah. back because he's not in the rotation more. He will get open hand slapped in the face with yeah. a red mark and his eye closed, <laughs> and everybody's getting back. <laughs> he's like, hold on, I got to pick up my eyeball. Yeah, did you see today when Looney, there, Looney got yeah. a steal, there's a fast break, and he just whacked Tyson in the face. There's a ref like two feet away. But yeah, they just they've decided... But Wiggins is like that, I think, for the Warriors. I really don't think that guy gets calls, period. It, sometimes, I don't know what it is. It's like some ways certain guys play, it just doesn't translate into the ref's brain. I don't think he drives the contact. I, I don't think he drives the contact, though. Like he, he sh- I think he's so athletic that he can kind of hang and float and try to like figure out the yeah. angle where, you know, whenever I get ready for the draft, I'll watch guys and I'll think, hey, it's admirable that you're not seeking fouls every single time. But we're going to want you to seek fouls every single time that you try, especially in the NBA, because if you're a decent offensive player, you end up getting the benefit of the doubt on all those things. You know, another call I didn't like for Boston, uh, the Jordan Poole, Derek White thing after the block, where I did think the block was clean. They were talking about whether or not it was a goal 10 on the broadcast. Uh, and they didn't oh, and then Zach Zarbo stops it, stops a fast break for the that, Celtics, that and then they have to rescind it. That was terrible. Right, and I don't think they rescinded it. I think Poole was grabbing his leg. He definitely 100% did something. Right. But I don't think any of this has anything to do with um, nah. the rest of the Celtics starters not making any shots, turning the ball over a million times, and getting a sampling of nuclear stuff that puts you to bed early. And Jordan The Cole. only thing I'll say is they the whole team collectively got pretty frustrated there in the first half because I do feel like they had momentum and were playing well. And then all of a sudden, you know, the wheels came off a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think what else I learned from the two gold state games. You want to hear about the arena? Yeah. What's it like? So I'm convinced all these arenas basically feel the same when you're actually in there, no matter how much money they spent on them. It's really nice. Like the underneath stuff's nice. All like the different clubs they have and there's more room and 
It's easier to move around. Like they fix all the little flourishes, like the, you know, how did the tunnels and all these kind of things. But the only arena I've ever been in NBA wise, where I honestly felt like it felt different was the Indiana one because they built it for basketball only. And you just feel, it just feels like the fans are on top of the court. The corners come way out toward the baseline and it just feel it's, that's still my favorite. All these other ones feel like variations. I have the big scoreboard now. It's super nice. Like I get, they, they figured out how to fix the corners. They put the media, you know, up on the corners up in seats that aren't that good, but they're still a really good vantage point. So they've mastered all that little stuff. The parking is always better, things like that. But ultimately, Indiana still figured it out the best. And I don't even know when they built that. Have you been to that Indiana one? Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. It's fucking incredible. I don't... So I know they have concerts and there was this article in Sports Business Journal about how much money they're making. No, it was like two days ago about what a cash cow that arena is for them and all these different ways they're monetizing it. No, but you stay up with the trades. You're good at that. Yeah, I try to. You know, I try to see what's going on. I'm not making fun of you right now. Eh. Um, (laughs) But they built it for... Everything, right? Basketball, concerts. Indiana was just like, we're building this for the fucking Pacers and for college and for high school. And we don't care if there are any other sports or concerts here. This is a basketball arena. I wish one other team would do that. I heard I heard a crazy thing about the Clippers that I'm not, I'm not sure is out, but multiple people have told me this. Did you hear about Bomber's idea for the wall? Like a green monster? Just ricochet it off of that? Apparently, one of the sides of the Clipper Arena that they're building is going to have no suites on it. And it's just like Rose Bowl style, just rose all the way up. Nothing. And his whole concept is he wants a wall so that a little like how the Seahawks have it with that, how they structured the field so the noise bounces off the one end. He wants to do that so that when the sound will bounce off and really be like a noise advantage. And well, if there's somebody there's is, be no suites at all. I, I mean, if somebody's like, I don't care about the extra suite revenue, it would be Balmer. This is, it sounds a little bit like the potato chip at Autzen in Oregon. Because when you're on the sideline, and, you know, lucky enough to go to a bunch of Oregon games when it was rolling up there, and we'd stand on the visitor's sideline to begin. I'll never forget it. It's one of the most amazing college football experiences I've ever had. And Matt Barkley's a freshman. I think he was a freshman that year. And he's like, I go, you know, they're like, hey, you've never been to Austin because Austin's half the size of some of these SEC stadiums. A little yeah. Half. And, you know, you'd be around, you're kind of like, which places are the loudest? And Barkley's like, oh, I like it loud. <laughs> it was so loud. Their first drive down and you're going on a silent count, which means your tackles are like looking at the defensive right. ends moving first. And Stanford, Steve, and I were standing up because we were like, let's stand on the USC side because the visitor side, there's always more room. And there's this massive thing. They joke and call it a potato chip that overhangs on the visitor sideline. And all that sound just comes back down on that sideline. And we're looking at each other. We could have been screaming at the top of our lungs to each other right. standing. At you, and you can barely hear it. And, and, and by the way, that Oregon fan base, too, would sustain it. So a lot of it is, I would love to start, I would, I'm totally with you. I would love to start seeing some different stuff, but no one is ever about not maximizing every single square inch for every future dollar. So that's why it never happens. But if, yeah, there's a guy that'd be like, ah, screw it, I'll do it differently. It would be him, right? That guy is Steve Ballmer. They're building I hope for this basketball. is true. I hope this it is had, true. And I, my intel is pretty good on this. They, he's building a basketball arena. So there you go. He's going to try to differentiate it in whatever way. 
I still think it's insane, but he's also so rich. What does he care? But it's it's insane. Yeah, that- but even even every other person that's so rich, what does that person care? They never do this. But True. maybe it takes that one guy to do it. So then the next guy goes, hey, you know what is really cool? This guy did it this way. And then they can get the city to pay for it. And they'll be like, this is awesome. <laughs> well, I think he's probably thinking of it like, how do I stand out from the Lakers? Uh, there's, I'm going to lose the who has more fans, Lakers or Clippers battle for the rest of the time I'm alive. So what are my advantages? I have money. Well, they have money too. I could have the coolest basketball stadium in the league. And a really awesome home court advantage. Maybe that'll help. That'll give us some sort of identity. So it's it's all part of the same thing. But um, but anyway, the worst thing, the crowd is, I think, still really loud. I got to say, I'd heard some feedback about that. It wasn't as loud as Oracle. And That's what I'd heard. It's, it's not as loud as Oracle, but it's like, I don't know, 95% as loud. It's really, I mean, it was deafening in there a couple of times. Um, the energy is a little different. I, Oracle was special. I mean, you're never going to... You're never going to compete with that, but um, I thought it was pretty cool overall. The Celtics should be put. Report. Yeah, the Celtics should be putting me in a private jet to go to Game Five, considering I'm I'm zero and two at Oracle during the playoffs run. You're I don't know how many two. other people can say they've never seen the Warriors win a game during all of those years. I was zero for two when I showed up. So were you really zero for two? I don't even know how many home losses that they even have. I was there for two of them, man. You know, I was talking to somebody at the game about how dumb the, when people started piling on Durant with the Curry thing, when it just became the talking head thing and then Durant got mad when they were talking about- Wait, back about, it up. Just give us the full timeline here so everybody understands what you're talking about. What was it, like a week ago, people were saying it was Steph's team all along. Durant, it, it became a talking head thing and, a, and a, a Twitter thing and it was out there that, wait, was Durant even that important to those teams? The TV shows- like there are a few questions TV producers love more than whose team is it, though. Right. I just, for the record, the 2017 Warriors is, I don't know, probably the best basketball team I've ever seen in person. And if it wasn't, it's in the top three. But I think I would probably take them over anyone. It was, I, I think this whole thing where the players just get mad and they tweet or they do whatever, I think it's a really weird time. Like, nobody else does this but players. The players have become... I, I don't even understand what the upside is of it. But in this case, I actually think he was justified to be like, what the fuck? We were awesome. <laughs> Our team was awesome together. I was super important. I averaged 35 a game against LeBron. Like, why am I taking shit? I don't know. I I, I just didn't get that at all. I'm going to attribute it to four days of not being able, not having games and trying to come uh, up with things to talk about. Well, you know, it's funny because I always felt like I was always making these Steph arguments that, you know, I think, a lot of people understood, but it still felt like so many people dismissed. Like you do not understand that it's not about every make, it's not about every three, it's not even about the attempts, it's his existence. Yeah, it's the and spacing you, and the pressure. Right. When you dug through all those plus minuses, you make everybody's life easier. But um to say that it was Steph's all along because they're in the finals now, well, guess what? Like the final this would probably already be over if Durant was still on the team. <laughs> Right, like this, this would be over. Uh, they'd be up 2-0. Maybe they lose one game along the way, and that's how special that group was. And I want to stay on that for a second because whenever we talk about that team, like I think it's one of the three best teams. I don't know if you have to go specific a uh, one year and say okay, seventeen, eighteen, or excuse me, uh, sixteen, the, seventeen. The 17, first 18. Durant year was the best year, right? Okay. But like you would take it over the eighty six Celtics. 
I just think I, I think it's so hard to compare the errors. If you go yep. back and watch the YouTube clips of that 86 team, the geometry of the game, you make your head explode. It's like, right. why are there 10 guys in the paint? No, and I mean, there's still something to say about that with the Bulls. I think the, probably the sec, the first, second, three-peat Bulls team yeah, you know, is probably the one you pick out of the Bulls run. I, the Lakers, it's hard, but if I were to say like an era team and say the Golden State KD years, this many years, the Bulls second three-peat team, this many years, I think even though this is going to pain you to like, you have to take the Magic Lakers and that collection of what they did over the Celtics in the eighties. Yes or no? I think the totality, but I still think the '86 team was the best team. Was the best single decade. team of any yeah. of the decade, right? They, All right. They, but, they crushed everybody. I, yeah. So I think, I think that team. I would go '96 Bulls or '97 Bulls if you want to get a little spicy. If you just want to be like, well, Brian Williams on the 97 Bulls, you want to go that route. Um, and the 2017 Warriors, those are the three best teams I've seen in my life. Yeah, and then it's completely unfair to, to some other generate, but I don't, I don't know that you would have many lists that uh, would, would go beyond five teams that wouldn't yeah, have those three teams. Your so, list has to include those three teams. Totally and agree. Th then I would start getting weird. Like I, would ha I still really value the 89 Pistons and all the all the lineup shit that they could do and how unbelievable they were defensively. And I still like the 82 Lakers as a playoff team with the, just like the, some of the full court press shit they were doing. And it was basically like the original small ball team and you have Magic and Nixon and Jamal Wilkes is still great and Kareem and McAdoo. And I, that team was unbelievable. So that would probably be my five. Yeah, I mean, if you're going five though, I, you know, that 83 Sixers team is hard for me to, if we're just going one single year, the problem is they don't have the longevity around the edges of whatever year you're picking. So I don't love that Ivoroni part. I can't get over. <laughs> Dude, they didn't lose to anybody. I know, they but smashed I don't like how they defended the title either. I, I did this in my book. I just feel like the title defense has to matter like 15%. Yeah, no, that's fine. And it's one of my arguments against the Heat with the first Wade one, where you go, like if you go through 20 years of titles. For 15 and 67? Uh, yeah, well, no, 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 no. That wasn't what it was. They got swept. They got swept in the first round. The next. Oh year. yeah, two years later, they were fifteen and sixty-seven. Right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, was, all right. So, but let's stay on the Draymond thing for a second, okay? Because yeah. what we're learning here is a lot of these guys are just like the rest of us. They just are way more famous and do cooler shit and have a lot more money. And so, when Draymond goes at KD, Draymond's going at KD because what? Because KD got baited into something. Like let's let's just admit it at this point. KD will talk about stuff. He will respond. Yeah. And it still kind of blows people's minds because you're talking about one of the best basketball players in the world. You're like, why would you care about this shit? But as we've learned through history, the most important people care about this stuff. All right. Yeah. So um also KD's probably hurting after he got swept in round one and his Nets things in total flux. And these guys are bored. I mean, LeBron James announced he might have a podcast because he sees other guys making money on podcasts and he's like, all right, game two. Hey, could be on a podcast soon. That guy's just sitting around bored out of his mind too. Right? <laughs> I mean, so what's he bored for? He just, they produced Hustle. That actually, I enjoyed that movie. Yeah, it was funny that the Draymond piece where he was like, hey man, you can't get baited into that stuff. It's like, you mean like you did with the Jalen Green thing with me where you took a, a one second, two second snippet of something I said and and didn't actually do the research on it. That's basically what he was saying KD did. Anyway. Yeah. Well, that was interesting. No, I don't expect the these guys, and this is why I wasn't mad when Jeremy did that. I don't expect these guys to have the time to investigate the genesis of things and what's real and what's not real, especially in this social media ecosystem we have when stuff gets floated out intentionally to try to 
you know, get somebody mad at somebody. That's part of the game now. Look, that means that Draymond's even more equipped to be in the media because it's like, well, can I get a good segment out of this? <laughs> Bill Simmons, this dick. You know, what do you Let's say go. about Jalen Green? Coming and up then, next. Right. And then the, a good producer goes, yeah, go with that. A bad producer would be like, well, do you know the full scope of what yeah. actually happened? Because I'll never forget, like, when my first time's doing late night at ESPN Radio, uh, there was another host. And he comes in. He's all excited. There was this coach who'd said something after a loss where he was basically, it sounded like he was ripping his own players for losing. It could have been like a conference tournament or something like that. And yeah. the guy's like, how, you know, and it was. It's always funny with hosts. I promise I'm not going to turn this into a long story. But when you're thinking of a segment in your head and you're like, oh, I think I got this. And then you almost kind of like throw it at somebody else. Like you run in and you see me prepping and you go, I got a good open tonight. You're like, mm. you know, F so-and-so. Can you believe the coach said this about his own players? I'm like, actually, I watched the whole thing. And he was saying it as a tribute. If you listen to the full thing of like his team was overmatched, but they fought all season long and they were preseason pick this and it's remarkable and it's one of his favorite teams he's ever had and the guy kind of looks at me like yeah but i already wrote out the segment <laughs> like <laughs> yeah but still <laughs> yeah but if i just take the one sound bite that's in this in in our in our touch screen the segment works the segment works if i just play that part of the clip and i was like this Hilarious. you know and i'm th- i'm looking at the guy going like why would you want to do the job the point is is that when draymond did it to you, but i think the draymond thing like if i don't know if you want to do this topic though when he announced like with pat bev on tv where i think he even said he didn't like it at first and then he came around on him and it was like, this is new media, you know, and you look at like JJ's pod or McAfee having a but platform J- and all this different JJ, stuff. JJ is in the media. He's a retired player and he and he's excellent and really does his homework. And I almost don't think he counts. I think to me, the new media is, are you still playing like the stuff like Iguodala racing home and doing a podcast with Evan Turner after the game and that kind of stuff. But to me, it's like just press conferences. It's just like, it's like your own homemade press conference. But I do wonder, and I, you know, and I don't wonder from like, I, you know, people can believe me or not believe me. I don't, I don't wonder what the future is, uh, with, with my full motivation being behind my own survival. Cause whatever, uh, I think it could be perceived that way. Like, oh, what do these guys think they're doing? But I, I would say that as much as players who are current players who are now, cause this is all going to happen now and, and ESPN and it's not just ESPN. They're going to love this because the thing that they never liked about putting any of us on was that, okay, there's always going to be this credibility buy-in that you're just not yeah. going to have. And even if it's a player, people don't like the guy played. And if he's playing right now, you know, there's, there's an automatic buy-in. It's the way people staff TV shows. They're going to keep start doing this. You know, it's just going to be more and more and more. I just wonder if it really, the product with active players being part of so many different media platforms, if the product is really going to be all that different from the way that we do it, (laughs) you know, like you can think it's totally different, but they'll get the same shit wrong. They'll make the same mistakes. Hell, I'll tell you right now, I think the former players are way more biased than most people other than, (laughs) you know, the cartoon characters out there that have platforms that are non-players. So I don't know that it's this, this revolution that's coming I could be wrong, but I also think that a lot of the guys, like, you're probably going to do it the same. You're just going to have more money. Yeah. I I think it's potentially additive or not, or uninteresting. I, I would say those are, those it's are both. the two ways it goes. Yeah. yeah For the most some, part, it's to me, it just sounds like press conferences. 
like, I, what am I getting that's that much different than what I hear after a game anyway? Unless, like, there's been some stuff. But see, that's the think, point, is that there's some stuff that is, like, the peaks and valleys of it. Like, when it's really good, it is really good. So that's like any other kind of media. Like, I think some, all the smoke in JJ's pod were probably the first two that had players who were playing where you felt like you were led under the hood. I think that's why when I, I think did Chicklets all those. I think Chicklets, too, did, does an awesome job. Yep. It. Oh, yeah, yeah, the hockey. Um, but like when I had to rain on, which was like 2017, 18, part of what made it unique was like people weren't used to hearing players talk like that for an hour, an hour and a half. Now, two, five years later, it's all over the place. I think it's ultimately a good thing. I like that it's out there and we have 4 million podcasts. There's plenty of room for players. I don't think it's replacing anything. I think it's either additive or uninteresting. Those, are, those would be my two lanes. But where it's going to go, I think in just terms of like how it could go short term is you could see somebody really stir up some shit. Like there could be a whole shit storm that comes out of one of these podcasts, right? Like what if, we don't know what Draymond's going to do on his podcast today, but what if he came in and he just like ripped Grant Williams for like 10 minutes, you know, and just told stories and did and just like really went after him and it would became a storyline in the series. That's where it's like, all right, this does feel like new media. This doesn't normally happen. No, and then there's going to be coaches like some yeah something will happen, and it's not even specific to Draymond. There'll be something that happens. You feel like a line is kind of crossed, but I just feel like the rules and the lines and all the stuff has been blurred in such a very short amount of time um, that it is a little unprecedented. And it kind of just always reminds me, and I've used this example before, but when Josh Norman, when it was announced that he was going to be doing part of the pregame for NFL Fox on Sunday, while he was still with Washington, I believe people freaked out. Like even us, we're like, oh, this is a topic. All right, yeah, we'll do this. And this is this is a good B or C block thing. Like, what does yeah. this mean? And it's like, and then we realize, like, wait, on this off day, he's going to tape a little thing that runs on Sunday. But we were still so we weren't desensitized to the idea of it that at first it's like, is this right? Can you have this in your locker room? Does this make any sense? And then you know, a couple of years later, you get Antonio Brown live streaming stuff that's not supposed to be live streamed inside of a locker room, which I think was a different media product altogether. But we have. We're numb to the idea of all of this is happening now and it's happening like nobody is saying, wow, I can't believe these, you know, these guys are doing this, especially in season um, because it's there is a demand for. it. But I also think it makes sense with the way the celebrity culture is now, right? Think of all the people, all the reality stars we and all the real celebrities and all the actors and people who just go right to their fans and they talk on Instagram or you know, on YouTube or they do vlogs or whatever else. Like, this is just what it's like now. It would make sense to me that it would drift into sports in a real way. I just, I, I'll be interested to see where it goes. I think this is definitely a 1.0 version of this. And we'll see if, we'll see if we, how much we actually learn from this stuff. I think the, the best case scenario of it is like when, like the retired guys with the current guys seems like the most successful model. But even that, it's really only worked with, I mean, the best, I think, with all the smoke and with JJ's pod. And then, as you said, with spinning chiclets. I, I haven't seen it work with baseball. Um, but you know what, though? Here's, here's the other thing, too, that I always think, and it's the same radio rule, because we'd have people from TV be like, I'd like to start doing radio. Mm. And you're like, all right. And then you do it, and you're like, holy shit, every day with this. And so podcasting is certainly different, but it's funny how you can feel left out. Like, well, that guy, I'm a better player than he is. And how much did he sign? And he's just going to deal for how many million or whatever. Mm. But it's like, I remember there was an ESPN exec that we both know. I'm not going to name the name, but he was telling me the story because I was kind of like, how come you pay this former player so much? Or how come 
you pay right. this guy so much? Or how come you did this deal this way? And I wasn't doing it from a point of like being critical. I was just simply wanted to understand. And he goes, dude, he goes, it's so different from even 10, 15 years ago. He goes, guys retiring now have like nine figures in the bank. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, like, Wade's a good example. I think Wade would have been an awesome color guy for games if he wanted to do it. Yeah, but, but he's he not going to want to do it that he made much. Four hundred like, million dollars. <laughs> yeah, so like I'll I'll drive by, do a little TNT, maybe for some of the playoff yeah. games. It'll, although Wade is working more because he's doing like the non Thursday broadcast. He did that a lot this season. He might have done, but that's still one day a week. So like a lot of guys, it's almost like podcasting. It's not even an athlete. It's like the number of people that are going, "Hey, I want to go ahead and do this." It's like a lot of people want to do this. They want to say they have it, but then to say like, "Okay," and I'm just telling you, the guys that have millions and millions of dollars in the bank, you you can get like, yeah, you know what? I'm kind of sick of coming up with a plan and we don't have a guest next Thursday and this sucks. Well, and, or they're like cousins right. producing it or however. Nephew. Um, nephew. How dare you? I took you long How dare to that you one. attack one of the three-headed prong of life advice? Just drive-by shooting. Kyle knows I, how I feel about him. I went to, yeah, did you go to the frolic room like I did yesterday to hang out with Kyle? No. You went? I went. I put in some Kyle time at the frolic room. Hadn't hung out in a while. I own a thousand bucks, on. too. I hope he doesn't have a VIG. It was great. Uh, hold on. We have, I have two basketball topics just from like talking to different people, things that are in the, in the air. Yeah, let's do it. That I want to talk about, but let's take a break. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash in every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card member. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. All right, last segment, a couple basketball things that are just kind of floating out there, and it's all finals, finals, finals right now. But I do think there's a couple basketball storylines I'm interested in. One is the Kyrie thing. This seems to be a big topic right now of what's going to happen with him and where he's going to go. And there was like, I know this is going to get aggregated. I don't really care. There is some Lakers buzz with him, which I'm trying to figure out even how it would happen. But I'm trying to think, A, would Kyrie actually leave the Nets? B, what's the most money they would pay to keep him? And then C, if they didn't want to keep him and it was a sign and trade scenario, where would he go? So I came up with five possible destinations. How many did you come up with? Oh, I didn't know this was a homework assignment. Well, how many uh, do you have? I'll give you my five. Do you want to rank them? 
Yeah, why or, don't we just do it random? that way? I'll do my five. I feel like the kid on the first day of class being like, do you have a piece of paper you can pull out your notebook for me? Destination number one. Dallas, if it was a Brunson double sign and trade. And what's interesting about this is I thought about it and I kind of liked it for both teams. If you're Dallas, Kyrie is just a better basketball player than Brunson, even though he's not as reliable and whatever you Brunson fit in so well with Luca, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're thinking like, how do we swing for the fences with Luca, who's this generational talent? Um, what if we roll the dice and Kyrie in Texas? Maybe Kyrie makes sense in Texas <laughs> for a variety of reasons. What does that mean? I don't even know. Maybe he just needs a new state. Um, but Brunson on the Nets, a little more stability, maybe cheaper contract. But um, who do you think is less likely to do Brunson for Kyrie? Total sports radio topic. Uh, well, anybody on the Kyrie side of things, like I just, I'm sorry. Like there's a couple guys now I just would not give a dollar to. Okay, and so you would rather have Brunson. Okay. This has been going on, this has been going on since like Kyrie turned 25. You know? And it's like I if he ended up again, I'll wait till the Lakers wanted to make the Lakers point. But uh I, and I'd also say this about Brunson. A really good player is gonna get paid. But there are some limitations to his offensive That's uh, the thing. shot creation. Do you want to pay him thirty five million dollars a year? No. No, I wouldn't, because I think once you started seeing him more, people being more prepared for him, like there's not, he's not comfortable in the catch and shoot. There's just, there's some things that you don't really notice unless you're totally locked into Brunson. Uh, not to say he's not a really good player and he doesn't really get paid himself, but like to think then that you're replacing this Kyrie KD dynamic with Brunson, although more available and less of a question mark about where he's at with his commitment. Uh, there are, I think there are more limitations for him offensively than you would think for a guy that put up those kinds of numbers. How about Lowry and Duncan Robinson for Kyrie and Joe Harris in Miami banking on heat culture? Oh, now we're talking heat culture. Uh, heat culture. You put Kyrie in heat culture. The sky's the limit. I wonder, if Spo would, I, wonder, I wonder if Spo would be like, I'm in. I bet he'd say no. <laughs> this would be a good segment. Either I'm in or I quit. <laughs> Let's play another round of I'm in or I quit. I think Spo would say I'm in. Hey, we made it work with Jimmy. Let's just get crazier. What does Nash say when somebody who's really close to him for 20 years calls? Says, hey, we're close to doing this deal. What, oh, give just me just give me long, the truth. Long, uncomfortable silence. <laughs> Orlando is my third destination. What if it's just Cole Anthony for Kyrie and the Nets get like a $40 million trade exception or whatever it is and Kyrie just signs with Orlando and the Nets get Cole Anthony and then they get this huge exception to do something with? Does that make any sense to you at all? I mean, I would say for Orlando, they're probably like, we're good. I just want to talk it out. I feel like it derails everything they think they're going to hope to be with yeah. the number one pick coming in, another year with Suggs. Fultz yeah. was good for them towards the end of the year. Uh, I, I, would, I would say that, you know, Cole's, well, he'd be out, so it's not like he's getting in the way of anything. Uh, 
They still have the Isaac piece. I always thought that people kept trying to just dump everything in Orlando because it felt like a stale organization. But, you know, with Wendell's improvement, the Bomba decision, which, you know, I don't know which way that's going to go. Um, would Kyrie is, if you think you're kind of like at step two of the five part rebuild, do you want Kyrie around? Is it actually worse in Orlando than it would be, say, Dallas where, or Miami? Where you're going into structure, right? Like, wouldn't it be better? Doesn't Kyrie have a better chance of success with something with established people that have already had? Like, you're talking about two conference finals teams. Yeah, you got to you got to kind of buy in. Yeah, so I'm actually starting to retroactively like those better now that you presented me with the Orlando one. I don't think I think Orlando says no too. Next spot, Houston, back in Texas. You (laughs) look number five, San Antonio. (laughs) Houston has the 17th pick. From Brooklyn, ironically. And they also have other those other Brooklyn like pick swaps, all that shit. And could it just be Kyrie for Wall and we'll throw you a pick and um the Nets can either see if they get what they you know, try their luck with John Wall or it's an expiring contract. Okay, my rule would usually always be, you know, there's only so many teams with cap space, it's hard to get anybody to take it. And you overpay for people. And if you're a place that's not a destination, then you really have to overpay for people. And so, you know, Houston, although when it's good, it's probably a, a place NBA guys. It's not probably it's a place NBA guys do like to go, but nobody likes to go anywhere by themselves anymore. So if I'm you're say Houston, no. Houston's like they're doing experimenting with Jalen Green, having the ball all the time. I, I think they're probably a no. I just no, wanted I, a float wall. Right. It's a likely no, but I think you have to kind of factor in the pricing for Kyrie. You know, it's kind of like the Simmons Harden thing where you're going, yeah. who, which argument is Daryl making and which argument is Sean Marks making? And Sean Marks was going to win the argument because if you're like, at least our guy plays in games, your guy doesn't, and you have to pay a tax on that. If you're doing some Kyrie wall thing, which we both agree, Houston would say no to it, would, would you make the argument that you're like, we have to pay Kyrie? <laughs> So why am I giving you wall on an expiring end yeah. of pit? Wait, right. like I'm not giving you like you're getting a shorter deal. And, you know, this is that's this why is, it's a no. Yeah, that's why it's a no. And by the way, like the wall contract now, although it's hard to add up to it, I wonder who'll try to pick it off and go, you know, John Wall for one year, an absurd number. Is he terrible? Like he can't play basketball anymore. I don't think he's, you know, I think that's kind of an overreaction. You just haven't seen him play. This is my second favorite one. What about the Clippers? What if it was just... Brandon Boston? No, it's like a Reggie Jackson or Luke Kennard, one of those two. Plus, like, I don't know, Powell. And the Clips just swing for the fences and they say, we're going to have a team that has Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Kyrie Irving all on the same team. And that's what we're going to go to war with against the Lakers and a bunch of role players. I think the Clippers would have the balls to actually consider a two for one, something like that, and roll the dice with Kyrie. Well, there's still none of this happens unless we know where Katie's head is at with it. And by all accounts, it doesn't seem like he wants any of this to happen. Right? I think Which that's going to, I think, think that's going to be a real issue. No, no, just I think the Nets are going to do what they want to do with this. Katie's under contract. You know, he's under contract for the next couple of years. So if they feel like 
Kyrie kind of dismantled um, any sort of cohesion the last the last 12 months and they just don't want to bring them back. It's their prerogative to do that. Last one. So you don't like, you don't think the Clippers swing for the fences? No, I really, I really, I really like it. Uh, but I think that's a, I think that's a possible, I'd mark that down. And then the Lakers, it's, it's really tough. They would have to be, Westbrook would have to be involved. Imagine telling Durant, Hey, we're trading Kyrie and we, and we know you don't want to. And by the way, you're playing with Westbrook again, who you left because you didn't like playing with him. That's where the third team comes in, my friend. Cool. All right. Good luck. Well, Sam Presti, OKC, former home of Russell Westbrook. Taking the, uh, taking the hometown hero home for a year. Take, get a couple Lakers first out of it. Lakers get Kyrie, and the Nets just get a huge trade exception. That's it. And then try to figure out what to do with it. I feel like the Nets would have to get something in that, though, and I don't know what it is. But if I'm OKC, I get just, I'll take Westbrook's money for a year. Give me some more first. Great. Oh, I get more, I get Lakers first now in 2027. I don't even know who's going to be on their team in 2027. We'll take that. We'll take 29 pick swap too. Great. We'll take Westbrook off your hands. I think that's the most realistic one. And then Westbrook comes home, conquering hero, even though he didn't really conquer anything other than some first round losses. Could see that one happening. Is OKC under the cap? OKC is way under the cap, like comically, hilariously under the cap. They have the favors contract that's expiring, and you know they're that's they're paying SGA, but yeah, they have they have a ton of money. They're way 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 under. They got like a small Muscala contract. Um, I'm gonna move on to the next next topic I had for you. Phil Knight buying the Blazers. You know, made an offer, apparently, reportedly. Yeah, $2 billion. Here's what I heard. Here's my Portland intel, city of Portland. Apparently, everybody in Portland is like, really wants Phil Knight to buy the Blazers. And there's like a slight fear about how long, if it's the wrong owner, is that a team that could potentially move? They know if Phil Knight buys it, they're set. It will stay in Oregon. He'll throw money into it. This will be great. And I think everyone's rooting for that outcome. Is what I heard. Yeah, we're talking about Phil Knight. I mean, you know. Yeah, but how do you feel about a guy who owns Nike running one of the 30 NBA teams? Uh, That's pretty weird. I've read some of the stuff. Um, All right, what do you think the problem is? I'll just take, take the floor. Well, I don't, I don't think it's that much different than like if Michael Rubin owned Fanatics while he also owned an NBA team. I think when there's that big of a profit piece, when you're supposed to serve all the teams, right? You almost shouldn't then be involved in one of the teams. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. I remember when Jordan got the Hornets. People were like, can you imagine how many free agents he's going to get when you're sitting across from Michael Jordan? I mean, and look, and now look how many they got. I mean, they got like two. Go- they got Gordon Hayward. 20 years. Which is probably not sure. the one people were going to guess. They probably won't put money on that one to close the deal. Uh, MJ's unorganized. He's, uh, you know, it's MJ, so nobody ever wants to give him shit about anything, but I, I don't know that it's the most 
uh, owner prep organization in the NBA. Uh, so here, he, also so, I, he sold a big stake of it too. Yeah. So I, you know, again, yeah. but I, I still think he's kind of in charge. Um, and nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's not an advantage. He's his own disadvantage as, mm. as the point man. I know the real dumb one that's not the same thing, but like when Jay-Z owned what 1% of the nets so like, dude, he's going to close 1%, so many It was like 0.001%. Yeah. That's kind of like the Tim Conley, um, equity thing that we've learned a little bit more about. Oh we yeah. Like, you're like, wait, it's a bonus thing and a chance to buy back at this valuation. And then it could be worth this. It's, it's not from where that rumor started to what it ended up being in the right. And look, he still got 8 million a year. Good for Tim Conley. Happy for him. But yeah, the equity part of that was, was a little overblown. Um, and then, you know, how weird is it that LeBron James has an agency, but it's, if you say that he has an agency clutch, it'll be like, it has nothing to do. And you're like, all right, well, it's different. It's different. Okay, it's not his agency. It's somebody else's agency, but then it's owned by UTA. But then, you know, or they own part of it. You know, I don't know all the, the full details of it. So I think it's my, this is a very long way of saying that I think we've done some of this stuff before. So you're saying co conflicts of interest have, have, been, have been in the mix. I mean. The Jay-Z I mean, one isn't as much. It was just a silly thing that it was like. You know, it was kind of weird. It was like an old white guy thing. Be like, you know who loves rap music? Black guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, a lot of the NBA, we'll lot of the sprinkle, NBA guys. We'll give them 0.001% <laughs> right. and it'll you go that, great. Who's that? Hove? Hove? <laughs> no, Calm. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the, I mean, the worst conflict of interest ever was the, was the Stern running the Pelicans. They'll never top that. Sturm I was thought the it was... owner of the Pelicans. <laughs> yeah, because they didn't have anybody to buy the team. So you're not going to just, you know, hey, empty. Everything's on 50% off at the team shop because we don't have anyone to want to buy it. And by the way, the Bensons, they, they completely made out. Or was it George Shin at first? And then Benson George, had to buy it. The disgrace George Shin. Yeah, that's right. And, and then, then Benson, Benson had to buy it. And he got a franchise for what, like 200 million? So... You know, that's going to end up working out for them, too. So I, I just think there's been other stuff. So, I mean, unless you have a stronger point of, like, what connected dots for me that the guy behind Nike... I, don't, I just want to talk it out. I think it's okay. I'm okay with it. I think it's, it's unorthodox. Um, I like it. I think owners should be... You should have profile owners, you know? It shouldn't be mandatory. But I think if somebody who is like Phil Knight wants to buy an NBA team, the NBA should want to do that. Yeah. Um... Next topic, I don't really have anything to add, but I, I think the the Sarver Phoenix story is to be watched over the next couple weeks. Dudes have been watching. They've been there's been a lot of investigation and a lot of people talk to, and it's a big topic now of how is this going to play out. They, in terms of, is he going to be forced to sell? Is he going to be suspended for a year, two years? What is going to be the outcome? But I think it seems like we're heading toward the finish line. Wouldn't it be crazy if Sarver was forced to sell before Daniel Snyder would be? But again, I don't know the full scope of the details. I read what I read like everybody else. I don't have inside information on this. Uh, so I don't I either, wait. but but keep an eye on it. Um, and then I don't know if you know. What's this is like rapid page? fire. This is like the end of PTI. I right was just, I'm just trying to give you all my all the dirt I heard. Empty uh, in the sports desk. <laughs> June 5th. It's now 9.46 p.m. 
it's officially the start of Talking Heads saying the draft starts at four. Sacramento Kings. We're here. We're in range. It's we, it's happened. That's like the very smart thing to say starting this week. You know, the draft starts at four because we know the three is going to go in some order. But I think there's a lot of buzz with Sacramento on what are they going to do at four? Because I don't think anybody thinks Ivy makes sense with De'Aaron Fox. And yet, if you think he's the best player, do they take him? Um, in, in a lot of ways, you'd almost rather be like sixth or seventh than fourth in this draft because that next wave of dudes, you almost want somebody making the decision. But where you go to the counter, like, oh, let's just, we basically, uh, the draft starts at four. We have our pick of everyone. Let's, let's do our whole process. But I, I think people are really interested to see how that plays out. Will Sacramento trade out of that pick? Will they take somebody weird? Will they try to trade up to two? I just don't know. It's a, it's a real wild card. It's for our purposes of trying to get content the next three weeks, Sacramento of the fourth pick is great. I think everything's on the table. I, uh, I, I hate when people, when bad teams worry about need, I hate it. It's one of my number. It's with tenant. Just take you your know? best guy. So if you I think Ivy's a superstar, take him. I was listening to Smartless and they were talking about tombstones for the 1700s. And I guess somebody came across one that said handsome and brave. And then like Will Arnett was like, that's awesome. Like we need to bring that back. We need to figure <laughs> out a way like when you die that it would say something like, I think he said he just wanted, he was a cool guy. Yeah. You know, so a hundred years later, when people see your tombstone, you're like, wow, that guy was a cool guy. Look at that. It says it right there. When I'm that, dead. By the way, that's a good production company name, by the way. It's Handsome and Brave Productions. There you go. You yeah, can have okay. it. You take it. So I need to get this thing off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> All might have been taken so far. Damn so it. I was like, man, in the arena's taken. Fuck. Somebody took double R. God damn it. Oh, oh, is that ranch. is out? Fuck. Yeah. Adrian Griffin rules Mo <laughs> movies is taken. What? Who took that one? Oh, Adrian Griffin did. All right, that makes sense. I'll let it slide there. Uh, I do want to throw a movie at you here a little bit later. But yeah, in my tombstone, I wanted to say never draft based on need when you suck. Great. Never, never draft based on need when you suck. Can I put a little asterisk underneath? Yeah. Don't take three he point never, cards in a row. No, but it could. The tombstone should actually say, "Had he ever worked for a team, he would have screamed, we should never ba draft based on need because we suck.'" The, you know, twenty unless whatever. It's, unless it's three straight point cards, let's not do that. <laughs> True. If we did. So here's the deal: like combine, like you would, you would like, I'll just. Why did I think this isn't breaking news? Sacramento doesn't have the most respect around the league. They don't. And so I'm still you, rooting for him, though. I still feel I like know. it could turn. Year 10, the, year 10 is fact, that's usually when it turns. I want you to be known as the one national guy that's like, you know what? I'm pro Vivek. He's ready to go. Let's turn this around. A lot of reps. A lot of reps. 10,000 hours to own a team. I was afraid when they were watching Stauskas during garbage time, they'd be like, kind of like this guy because Vivek <laughs> had good seats. <laughs> what was about Sam Hauser was the one that was jumping out. Like, yeah, Hauser free hit, the way he was moving. I was like, Jesus, is this the next truce? Hauser's like, what's the NBA record for PER in a game? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Struce right. is like, Hauser, great job. You're next. <laughs> uh, when I was like, 
you know, which go, hey, what do you think? Everybody thinks Jabari's going one, right? Okay, hey, what do you think Houston? You know, how do you think this all play out? Um, and then you go, man, Sacramento. Like, what do you do? What do yeah. you do? And it would be other guys that I would talk to, just kind of eye roll, going like, that is because this here's the here's what sucks for Sacramento. It's probably the one team that can't take Ivy based on the way those two guys play. So if they were to if they were to not take Ivy and he turns into like the best version of him, which could be really really fucking special. Uh, even though I know nobody seems to like him now because the way the tournament ended, at least on the media side of things, I shouldn't say everybody, but you get the point. He's not as hot a name right now. Yeah. Like, imagine, imagine Sacramento's like, look, we kind of couldn't take him because of Fox, which other people would agree with. And then Ivy turns into a stud. Like, I'd almost feel bad for Sacramento on that one. They could point to the Fox Sabonis stuff and how good Fox looked when Sabonis showed up. That's a reason not to take Ivy. Well, I can't wait. I haven't, I, I, I just, I'm too preoccupied with the finals. I'm going to have to cram for the draft like the week before. But um, the, it's such a fun one because we still don't know the top three. And then four through 12, everybody's got re- like legitimate favorites. You know, you go to that second tier, it's like, a, I guess, a second and a half tier. But everybody's got like two guys they just love. Those are always the best drafts. Uh, no, I have a couple guys I love. Yeah, just like I'm the 20s. all in. Right? Yeah, just all in. Uh, I have a movie recommendation for you. Well, that's because I have a movie thing I want to throw your way here too at the end. All right, we got to wrap up because we got to get this podcast up. So let's let's do this quick and we'll we'll go. All right, what do you got? There's a movie with Alicia Silverstone where she's on vacation with James Tupper from dated a girl who looked like her. James Tupper, I think from Desperate Housewives, maybe one of those shows. Never dated in Thailand on one of those one of those hotel rooms that's in the ocean. Yeah, it's like the six floating ones, whatever. And needs to say there's a bad weather situation. You better like the person. You really better like the person. There's a bad weather situation and and you can guess how it unfolds. It's the funniest movie I've seen in like two years. I my wife and I were were we just kind of stumbled on it and I can't tell you how many laughs I got for an hour and a half. And I highly recommend this movie to the general public. So there you go. Okay, it's this called, is amazing. It's called um, like Luchin or it's like a six letter name. It's on, I'm going to say it's on Hulu. It's on the Hulu. Okay, Hulu. Got it. Hulu. Alicia Silverstone, go find it. So she's back. Is Alicia Silverstone back? Is that what we're saying? I'm going to say coming off this movie, the, the answer is no. Oh, okay. She's, she's not back. That's but you said it's reasons. worth watching? Yeah. It's worth oh, watching. I think it's I got gotcha. you. It's worth watching. Uh, it's called Requin. R-E-Q-U-I-N. Just give it 20 minutes and you'll see what I mean. Anyway, what's your movie thing? So this is actually based on Smartless again. Two shout outs. They were talking about the movie The Worst Person in the World. Yeah, good one. Yeah, what's the matter? No, no, no. I'm not saying like really good job emotional emotional dialogue drama love that stuff different setting digging into that oslo culture there a little bit um, yeah let go in oslo yeah i still think people would struggle naming all of scandinavia i feel like scandinavia in general right now has been a hotbed of storytelling i feel like that's gone underreported it's just nothing's hotter than scandinavia right now when it comes to dramatic films the that's swedish inside. hockey show is good that's swedish hockey drama on hbo max enjoyed that right. Federer. So that's a joke. 
Um, <laughs> I I got to tell you though, the script this this movie tries a lot of stuff. Tries a lot of stuff, and I overall really like it. I think the acting is terrific, but there's a mushroom scene in there that I can't help but think if I ever wrote something like this, where the first note would be like it, a little slow. Do you need it? Lose the mushroom scene. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get that part at all? And I got to tell you, were those mushrooms dipped in acid and kerosene? Like, I I think we're in a really weird drug phase in movies right now. It's like they've run out of places to take it, so they get super crazy. You know, I watched all seven episodes of The Staircase this weekend. I'd been resisting it, but that was really good. Did you watch it? No, somebody's I finished up. Is, yeah, somebody's finished. wife is dead at the bottom of the stairs. Hmm, what happened? And seven episodes later, it's it's really good. No, I ended up finding out what was it. I was reading something about how the woman that was reporting on it or was doing some documentary ended up yeah. dating the guy. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't spoil right. it because people should watch right. it. But it's one of those where you're watching it. And then there's a, well, there's a whole deep dive because there was a documentary, there's features, like you, you just, it's a rabbit hole. Like once you get into it, there's this whole other universe you go into and it's the same premise of a hundred of these. Oh, somebody's spouse died. What happened? You should get, that should be one of the scripts you write. What? Just kill somebody and then who, who done it? Uh, Somebody died. What happened? That does seem to work. People that seems to be popular. He seems really upset, but is he? Who is it? That's what I liked about Mary Easttown so much is that they just messed with you the whole time. And then they gave you like a premature ending that was like, oh, is this it? And like, no, it isn't. That's not what it is. And so, I mean, obviously. I still am rooting for Mary Easttown too, where she's just a high school woman's basketball coach. I'm pretty in the tank for Inglesby. So I, I just. Everything about it, tonally, that show. But yeah, I mean, it's not, if you can do it well where you're guessing the whole time, you know, that's kind of how TV started in a way, like all these cliffhangers. I'm glad it's back. Yeah. Yeah. We have to go. I just want to report from the frolic room that I'd never been into. Great place. I love the location. Everyone everyone really likes Kyle. and, uh, And I was glad I went. I can't believe you went before I did. I'm so disappointed in myself. I'll go back. When you go, you tell me. We'll go. All right. We're wrapping up. You're doing your podcast. It'll be up uh, Tuesday morning. And yeah, we're going to get David Griffin of the Pelicans on here soon. So looking forward. Oh, interesting. Little yeah. little momentum for him. Yeah. Nice little nice little run. Excellent. Uh, podcast was produced by Kyle Creighton, as always. Thanks to Steve Surdy and Dylan Berkey as well. I'm not sure when I'm coming back this week, but uh, I will definitely be back and new rewatchables coming. On Monday, we did Knocked Up, which um, is still really good. Enjoyed it. It's good to see all the all the characters again. Uh, thanks for listening. See you on Tuesday or Wednesday.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 